The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Who are you trying to impress? Who you're trying to impress is going to reveal what you value, what you believe it means to be rich. Some of you, you have, you have a very simple definition of what you think it means to be rich, but you're living by a very different definition. I mean, you, you thought that being rich just is having a lot of stuff, having a, a full bank account, and retiring wealthy. But you're, the way you're living suggests that you think something else means it's rich. Let, let me illustrate what I mean by this. Who are you trying to impress? Some of you, when you get dressed in the morning, you are dressing to impress. In fact, some of you were taught that, dressed to impress. And so you get up in the morning and you're thinking about what others will think of the way you're dressing. And some of you you ladies, you're thinking about what he's going to think about you when you get to work. And so here's what that's revealing about what you value, what you think it means to be rich. You don't actually care about money. You care about what others think of how good looking you are, how attractive you are. And so you actually want money so you can buy the right clothes and get the right food so you can look good because what it means for you to be rich is that others admire the way you look. Some of you guys, superficial, you're working out because you want to look buff. And you want, you, want all, you want them to notice how buff you are. And what you really value is that you, you look powerful. You look like you're in control. You want to impress people because you want them to think you're powerful and in control. For you, it's not about money. It's about being powerful and viewed as in control. So money is a means to an end to be viewed that way. But let's flip that around. Interestingly, it also will reveal what you fear. Because if you're trying to fit in, so you dress to fit in, you talk to fit in, you act to fit in with that peer group, because you're afraid of not belonging. You're afraid of being rejected, of being betrayed. Maybe you're working really hard at work, you're you're striving to get ahead, you're trying to impress your boss or your supervisor. Because what you value is position and promotion because you have your identity attached to, who you, to what you do, not who you are. And so you're afraid of being viewed as not a hard worker. You're afraid of being viewed as a slacker. You're, being, you're afraid of being viewed as someone who isn't performing well because you, you have your value, your sense of being rich, attached to your positions and what you're accomplishing. And so what you fear, what you're afraid of losing, will reveal what you consider to be rich. I want to give those two, th- those two things to you again. Maybe you need to make a mental note of that and even do a quick survey in your own life. Who, am I, who I'm trying to impress reveals what I believe to be rich. What I'm afraid to, fe- what I'm afraid to lose reveals what I believe it means to be rich. So for you... Who are you trying to impress? What are you afraid to lose? Those two things are telling me about you, what it means for you in your life to be rich. Now let's switch gears here for a moment. We're gonna talk about Jesus. 
just sounds like the right, the right person to talk about in this context, but you're gonna discover very quickly that Jesus had something very practical to say about this very topic on what it means to be rich. Uh, when Jesus was teaching in his early years, he talked very plainly, very openly about God. He taught about how to live in relationship with God, how to, how to know God, how to, um, how to walk in obedience to God, and how to be part of God's kingdom. And one day, Jesus goes from teaching very plainly and very candidly to very coded and uh, through storytelling. We call them parables. But parables are really um, simple stories to teach a profound truth, but you have to work hard to understand what they mean. You have to at least put some effort into it. And, and it literally, it happened in one day. And, and in just a moment, we're going to read about this transition moment. And it happened for a very specific reason. He, let, me, let me give you the context. So Jesus had been teaching very plainly. He was also healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead. And there were people he would set free from their demons. Now, people have all kinds of different demons, don't they? People have demons from their past, demons of their fears. Uh, they have demons of addiction. And some people have actual spiritual demons alive inside of them. And so Jesus one day met a man who had spiritual demons inside of him, and he cast that demon out, and the man was set free from the demon oppression and possession on and in his life. But there were some religious elite, some religious bullies who were jealous of Jesus because they wanted what Jesus had. They were trying to impress the crowds because they were afraid of the crowds because they wanted people to like them and listen to them. That's what they valued. And the crowds were following Jesus. And so what they did was this. They conspired together to say, Jesus, the only reason why you can cast out demons is because you have demons in you. That makes a lot of sense. No, it doesn't, but it was their line. It was the way they were gonna mudsling and tear Jesus down. And that day, when they started making those accusations about Jesus, here's what Jesus did. And we're gonna, we're gonna read about it, but I'm gonna give you a little insight. Jesus looks at them. He goes, you are so hard-hearted. You have already made up your mind about me. You've rejected God because of the blindness of your heart. And so I am no longer gonna teach you plainly about the things of God because you don't wanna hear it anyway. In fact, instead of me just bringing the food to your, to your table and serving you easily, I'm gonna make you work a little bit for this. You wanna know what I have to say? You wanna understand what I'm trying to teach you? Put a little effort into it. You're gonna to have to think about it a little bit. You're gonna to have to want to know. And so Jesus shifts his teaching. We're gonna dive in and we're gonna look at this moment. It's, it's captured by the author Luke in what's called the Gospel According to Luke and that he wrote out the story of the life and teachings of Jesus and it was later put into the Bible. And so we're gonna jump in Luke chapter 11. This is how the chapter ends and then we're gonna jump right into chapter 12. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees, that's these religious bullies, these religious elite and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely. Now, Luke doesn't get into the whole context. Another one of the authors says what, what it means for them to oppose him fiercely is they're saying, you've got demons and you're driving out demons. And to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. So they're trying to trap him. Meanwhile, here's, this is the kind of the irony of it. Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands had gathered 
so that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, so he's talking to his disciples, but he's also talking to the crowd and he's talking loud enough so these religious bullies and these religious elite hear what he's saying. And this is what he says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Yeast is an ingredient you put in dough to make the bread rise or anything to make it rise, right? And so he's saying there is a teaching, there is a thinking that gets into you that will make, that will puff you up, that will cause you to rise and, and try to be something you are not. And what it does is it forces you into a lifestyle of hypocrisy. The only reason why you're a hypocrite is because you're trying to be something you're not because you're afraid of people. Did you catch that? So Jesus is warning them. And the key here is this. He's saying to the crowd, don't follow the crowd. Don't let these religious bullies bully you into being something you're not. Don't live in fear of what they think. Don't live in fear of other people. Don't constantly live your lives trying to impress others. So how do you get out of this trap? How do you you get out of the trap of constantly wondering what others think of you and being afraid of what they think of you and making your decisions based on a fear of others? Even some of you are afraid of what others will think of your faith. And so you have changed your practice of faith in God because of what others are saying or thinking. You're afraid of what they might say. And so you pray different. You act different. You're hypocritical, not because it's at the core of who you are, but because you're afraid of what others think of you. And so you've concealed your faith. You've hidden your your devotion to God. And so you've become a hypocrite. And Jesus is saying, there's a way out of this. Look, I I wanna challenge you. I've been praying for you as I was preparing this sermon and really believe that God wants to do a work in each of your hearts. And I believe if you'll open your heart a little bit to this, you're gonna walk out of here different. You're you're gonna finish this sermon. You're You're gonna be different today. Some of you are gonna be set free today because you've been living your life to please people. You've been living fearful of what others are saying and doing. You live in the fear of man. But what Jesus is offering is something radically different where you can be set free from that, how? And the practical application is this. This is what I want you to take away from this message. You can feel free to write it down. You can type it into your smartphone or into a tablet. Um, But either way, write it down because I'm hoping that this sets in your heart, but here's how it's gonna get to your heart. So you go from your hand, to your head, to your heart, and then it's gonna become a habit, all right? So here's what I want you to write down. Simply, you and I, we need to gain an awe of God. You need to gain an awe of God. If you're gonna stop living in the fear of man, if you're gonna stop trying to follow the crowd, if you're gonna stop living a life of people pleasing, the only way that's gonna happen is if you gain an awe of God, that's it. Let me explain, I'm gonna break this down, I'm gonna unpack this for you, but so let me start here. Why are you and I so driven to impress others? Here's why. Because at the core of who you and I are, when we were born, we were born in essence. Imagine the inside of you, somewhere deep in you that drives what you value what you think is important, what you think mean, it means to be rich, that part of you. It's not in your emotions, it's not in your mind, it's deeper, somewhere deep in your soul, all right? Maybe in your spirit. When you were born, it was broken. 
It was as if your value bank was broken. And because it's broken, your sense of value, your sense of self-worth has drained out of you. And so here's what you and I do. We, we look for others to fill our value bank. When they tell us that we look good, that, that you did a good job, you know, well done on your graduation, great job on your grades, hey, way to get that promotion, you look good today. All of that is filling our value bank. And then when someone insults us, when they hurt us, when they offend us, when they betray us, when they reject us, it drains out, doesn't it? And it seems like no matter what we ever do, it never quite fills, right? You can get the promotion. Man, you finally graduated. You worked your tail off. You gave it everything you've got. You put four years in. You graduated cum laude, you know, magna cum laude, and you're super pumped about this. And then you literally go to your graduation party, and somebody gives you five bucks as a graduation gift instead of 50 bucks, and you are insulted, and all of a sudden you feel like you have no value. How could this possibly happen? Because our value bank is broken, and so no matter what you put in, it's just gonna drain back out. You wanna know why it's broken? It's at this deep core part of who we are, this spiritual part of who we are. Sin broke us. Sin is a word that biblical authors, that Jesus used to describe our broken relationship with God and what we do to break relationship with God. So it's the behavior, but more than behavior, it's at the core of our desires. In essence, sin drove us to a place where we wanted to walk away from God toward what we valued. So we abandon the value of God for what we think is important, what we think makes us valuable, what we think gives us identity, and we spend the rest of our life doing things that we think are important, that we think gives us value and a deeper sense of identity, but always going in the opposite direction of God. Sin pushes us away from relationship with God, headed toward our own ruin because sin sabotages us. It tells us this will make us more valuable. It tells us that this will make us feel more important, but all along it's a bait dragging us toward our own ruin. And it never gives us what it promises. But not just physical ruin, spiritual ruin, and eternal judgment. So how do you overcome this? Jesus gave the answer. He goes, so here's the deal. What does he say to the crowd? What does he say to his disciples? Let's just continue reading in Luke chapter 12, verse two and through five, and I'm just gonna kind of go through this with you. He goes, there is nothing concealed. So here's his answer, right? This is his response when he says, don't be like these religious bullies who, who are hypocrites and drive you to fear them and live a lie. He goes, look, here's the deal. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. You can, you can live the lie you want, but eventually it's gonna be revealed. And there's nothing hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in dark will be heard in the daylight. There is, hold on, we're gonna keep reading here, I think. And what you have um, whispered in the ear, in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Woohoo! That was life changing, wasn't that? Some of you are looking at me with a crooked eye going, wait, what? That's supposed to encourage me? That's gonna set me free from trying to impress people? 
<laughs> okay, we're gonna have to work at this one. This is, this is some, there's some deep stuff going on here. Jesus is going, okay, this is at the core of who you are, what you value what you think is important, what you think it means to be rich. So this is gonna take some work. Don't just, don't just think at a surface level here. Here's what Jesus does. He goes like this. You go through your life afraid of people, living in the fear of man, wanting to please people and impress people. But here's the deal. You're afraid of them because of what they could do to you, but I want you to know this. The worst they can do to you is kill you. That's pretty bad. Some of you, that was, you're supposed to laugh at that. He, but he goes, no, stop and think about it. Some of you, you, you've lived your whole life scared of what someone might say about you. The worst they could do is say something bad about you. Some of you, you've lived your whole life just scared of what somebody might post on Facebook or Instagram about you. Have you ever stopped to think like, actually, who cares? That, okay, that's kind of what Jesus is getting at here. He's going, are you kidding me? You, you've, you've let bullies intimidate you. You've let your peer group insult you and, they, and that has changed how you live your life because you're afraid someone might make fun of you. And that's bad. That hurts. Man, all of us carry some insecurities and wounds because other people have hurt us. But he goes, at the end of the day, the worst they can do is kill you. And that sounds bad. I know. But check it out. There's something far scarier. And that is that if, if, well, not if, when you die, you don't just die. You go into eternity. And there is a God who, who holds eternity in his hands. Fear him. If you're going to live your life, live in the awe of the one who holds your life in his hands. Not just your physical life. Oh, sure, somebody can beat you up. Somebody can hurt you. Somebody can insult you. Somebody can hurt your reputation. Somebody can tear you down. Somebody can get you fired from the job. Somebody can cut you off and flick you to a bird. And that would ruin your day. And you spend your whole life worried about those things. And he's saying, are you kidding me? There is a God who holds your eternity in his hands. Live your life in light of what he thinks. Okay, so now let's land this. I mean, let's bring this in for some application. So you and I, we live our lives in fear of man because we believe that there are people who are judging us and they're the jury on our lives. They're the judge and jury. And yet Jesus is saying there is a God who is the judge and jury. And here's what God did. He took the judgment you deserve because of sin and he heaped it onto Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna take that judgment. The reason why, yes, you live in fear of the one who holds eternity in his hands, but you don't have to live constantly feeling like you're about to be condemned and judged like you would people around you who are judging and condemning you because Jesus said, I am taking your judgment on myself. The death sentence you deserve is coming on me. So that when you believe in Jesus by faith, because he died on a cross, you are forgiven. The judgment you deserve was taken out on Jesus. You are free from the fear of judgment. When you believe in Jesus by faith, your sins are forgiven, guilt and shame lifted, eternal judgment removed. And now you live in awe of a God who loves you and forgives you and knows you personally. So now let's make this practical. Let's continue. I'm gonna give you two ideas on how to live in the awe of God. And if you get this, I promise you, you will walk out of this moment different. You will live different. You will make decisions different. The first one is this, and these are the two ideas. Awe of God means the fear of God and the fascination of God. That means you you need to fear God and be fascinated by God. So let's start with this one. Awe is the fear of God. 
And fear is not a bad thing. Some of you, when I said it, you kind of bristled a little bit because you're like, that doesn't sound right. Well, let me unpack it for you. Fear of God. I had the privilege of, uh, when, when my oldest daughter was very young, six months old, we went to the Grand Canyon and uh, put, put her in a backpack and we hiked the Grand Canyon. In wintertime, it was 28 degrees when we started and it was ice and snow covered. And I approached the edge of the Grand Canyon like this. Am I the only one that would have done that? She's back here and I'm like, And I got definitely, and then we hiked down the trail and I was like, oh God, I'm gonna die. And, and I'm like a pretty adventurous person. What you don't know is I have like a pretty high level of fear of heights. I hate heights, but yet I do all kinds of stuff that puts me in places where I'm constantly looking out over cliff's edges. And the reason is my sense of adventure overwhelms my fear of heights, but I am very much afraid. And I approach most cliff edges like this. In fact, I will climb all the way up a mountain and then I won't even get too close to the edge. I'll just stand about this far back and I'll be like, oh yeah, that's awesome. And then there's other people that are like, oh, and I look at them and I envy them because I'm like, I don't know where they got that from. They're insane. But for me, I'm like, I'll just keep my distance. And, and, and scripture tells us that we should approach God that way. Not like, oh, all right, God, what's up? Big papa in the sky? No, no, he's like, hey, hold up. Like, this is what scripture says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. The author of Hebrews is giving us the right perspective on how to approach God. He says, let us be thankful, I mean grateful to God, and so worship God acceptably. How do you worship God acceptably? With reverence and awe. For God is a consuming fire. Check it out, he's going like this. He says, when you approach God, the acceptable way to approach him in worship is God, you are perfect, you are holy, you are awesome. I wanna worship you, but I recognize that you're a fire that consumes, and I don't want my life, I don't want my spiritual being to be burned up in fire and destruction. So I approach you with honor and respect and reverence. Now, most of us, we don't quite have that view of relationships. Maybe you've had a moment where you had some really important interview and it felt like you were walking into a, a room and you were gonna interact with somebody who was a consuming fire because you felt like your whole life was hanging on the balance of this moment. So what does it look like in relationships? When we fear people, the fear of man, this is what it looks like and sounds like. What's running through your mind is this, you are thinking about what others think of you. And you are thinking about what others think of the decision you're going to make. You're preoccupied with it. That means you're afraid of people. On the other hand, when I am afraid, when I have the fear of God, here's what that means. It means I think about what God thinks of me and I think about what God thinks of the decisions I'm going to make. Who knows what others think of you? Their opinion of you changes all the time like a roller coaster ride. Some of you, your opinion of me has changed five different times in this sermon. You're not sure if you like me or hate me or want to walk out or keep coming or whatever, right? Because sometimes we don't even know what we think of other people. Sometimes we conceal what we think of other people. They don't know what we think because we're not being honest with them. And so you and I, we live in the fear of what others think because we're not quite sure we understand what they think or their opinions of us changes. But here's the thing, you know what God thinks of you? God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son to spend eternity with you. God values you. He's put his worth on you and he says you're worthy. You are loved. You are precious in the sight of God. You never have to wonder again about God's opinion of you. 
You are worth the life of his son. And so then the second thing is, it's not that you and I aren't gonna think about what others think of us or the decisions we make. It's that when you have the fear of God, you think less about what others think about the decision you're making and more about what God is thinking about the decision you're gonna make. So I'm gonna keep it real simple and straightforward here, right? So you're getting ready in the morning and some of you, some of you, all right, I was gonna call somebody out, but let's, let's just make it simple. So and you're thinking, you're getting dressed, you're thinking, I wonder what those people I go to school with, the people I work with are gonna think about what I'm wearing. You know how you overcome that constant paralyzing feeling? God, what do you think about what I'm wearing? Do you know how much that'll change the way? Some of you, that's gonna speed up your morning by an hour. You're, you're just gonna, you're gonna get dressed so much faster. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna be freed. Some of you, you you're, getting, you're purchasing a car and you're thinking, what are my coworkers, colleagues, what are my clients gonna think of what I'm driving? Do you, do you realize you could be set free from that just by simply stopping and thinking, God, what do you think of the car I'm gonna drive? The cool thing is, it's not hard to figure out. God's not like a roller coaster ride in his opinions. He, he's written it out in his word. He's given us 66 different books all compiled together in two volumes, the Old and New Testament of the Bible, where as you read it, here's what you begin to understand. You, you begin to deeply understand what God thinks of you and what God thinks of the decisions you're making. The better, the more time you spend reading the word of God, the more you understand what God thinks and the bolder it will make you in making decisions. For me personally, I feel like one of the unique things maybe I, I've been, I'm able to do as a leader is I have a lot of courage and boldness when I make a decision. You wanna know why? Because I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about what others think about me or the decision I'm gonna make. I hate to break it to you, but I really don't care what you think. And, and some of you might be like, hey, that, I'm offended. You wanna know why? Because my responsibility first and foremost is to care about what God thinks and make decisions based on what I believe God thinks. Now, and as a result, I pray, I take time to read the word of God, I make the best decision I believe that is in alignment with what God thinks is best, and then I do it and I don't look back. And I feel like I'm able to make bold, courageous decisions because I'm not worrying about what everyone else thinks. I'm simply saying, God, what do you think? And I wanna do that best as best I can. And I'm gonna make mistakes, I'm gonna get it wrong, but you know what? God, I'm gonna walk in humility before you and just do the best I can in, in knowing what you think according to your word and then living that out. Some of you, this is gonna set you free today. Now, there's a second part that's told you we're gonna unpack this, right? The fear of God. And then the second is this, and I'm gonna give you the Bible, the passage of scripture, and then explain how it applies to your life. Here it is, Romans, uh, I mean, Luke chapter 12, and we're gonna read this passage. Are not, so remember, he just said, you know who you should fear? Don't fear people who can murder you, or can insult you, or tear down your reputation. Fear the one who holds eternity in your hands, in his hands. And he goes like this. Oh, by the way, though, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? So he's talking about, you know, things that they understood back then. Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Five cheap little sparrows, and God pays attention to them. Indeed, the very, um, uh, forgot, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Isn't this incredible? Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. What he's saying is, all these people in your life that you're worried about what they think and what they say, what they can do to you, they don't really care about you. They don't see you with the value that God sees you. But while you approach God in fear, you don't have to approach God feeling like he's going to crush you because God cares about you. 
He knows your every need. He knows every situation, and he loves you. This is when you approach God with fascination. So we have the fear of God and the fascination of God. It's the awe and wonder of God. So I said this, right? We approach the Grand Canyon. And uh, don't, so I want to encourage you, write this down. The awe is the fascination of God. When you approach the Grand Canyon, here, here's how it looks, right? I said, go like this. Got, got my baby on my back. I don't want to slip and fall and die. And I mean, I've got the kind of fear that like makes me think I'm going to lose bowel control, okay? I'm scared to death. But yet when I get there and I'm looking out, are you kidding me? And I come into a place where I worship the God who made this. Fascinating fear of God. I approach God with an appropriate level of respect and fear so that I think more about what he thinks than I do what anybody else thinks. But then I'm able to enjoy then the fascination of God. God, look at who you are. You are awesome. You are amazing. How does that apply in relationships? Well, here's what most of us do. We seek the approval of people we admire. There's people you admire, you worship. You look up to them and you're in awe of them. You're fascinated by them. Wow. Look what they've accomplished. Look what they wrote. Look what they did. Look what they have. And you want what they have. You want to be like them. So you study them more to figure out how you could be more like them. When you are fascinated by God, you seek the approval of the one you admire. God, I am in awe of you. I admire you. I want to know more about you because I want what you have and I want to be like you. Did you catch that? Look at this. Some of you, you've been paralyzed your entire life because you are trying to seek the approval of someone you admire. Maybe it's a parent. And right now you still live constantly seeking a parent's approval. Others of you, there's a person who died in your life and you still are trying to get their approval that you can never get. And so you're filtering your thinking through this lens of, I hope they would be proud of me. I wonder what they would think of this. I wonder if they would approve of my life. Others of you, you're looking for the approval of a peer group. You're hoping, you're looking for the approval of someone that you're hoping to date. And it literally is paralyzing the way you think, you live, and you decide. But when you shift your thinking to be in the fascination of God, where the only one that I admire is God, and the only one's approval I need is God's. You have God's approval when you believe in Jesus by faith. He loves you. He sees you as worthy and valuable and precious in his sight. And now, for that reason, I'm able to admire him and worship him acceptably in reverence and awe because he's a consuming fire, which means now I spend my life wanting to get to know God more, wanting to have what God has, his love, his joy, his peace, his hope, his faithfulness, and I wanna be more like him. Some of you, if you could walk out of here, if you could, if you could finish this sermon committing to spending more time thinking about what God thinks of you and what God thinks of the decisions you're making, and you could spend your life simply seeking to be more like God because he's the one you admire and he's the only one you need his approval from, your life would be radically changed. So I wanna challenge you. Would you, there's a spiritual part of who you are, that part that was broken, that love bank, that value bank part of you. In that part of you right now, 
Would you open that up and say, God, I'm asking you to fill my value bank. Some of you, what that means is you're gonna make a commitment to say, Jesus, I need you to fill my value bank. Forgive me of sin. Remove the things I've put in there that are not of God and fill me with your love, your forgiveness, your peace by allowing God's spirit to enter into your spirit. Some of you, that's your prayer moment right now. Others of you, your prayer moment is, God, I have been living in the fear of man for so long. Right now, help me to care more about what you think. And then others of you, you've been paralyzed seeking approval from others. Today, you need to hear God's spirit saying, I approve of you because of your faith in Jesus. I love you. And now you can begin to live in the fascination of the wonder of God. Would you take a moment, close your eyes, and would you pray right now and allow God's spirit to speak to your spirit? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.